she had got the cancer. You have made my life so wonderful. Take that with you too, okay? I know that you love me. Your mother can't be with you anymore. I can't believe it. It's been a decade since you've been gone. Mama, I miss you. I miss sitting with you in the front yard. Still figuring out how to keep living without you. Hey, friends. Welcome to episode seven of Hello, My Mom is Dead. I'm Molly McGlynn, a filmmaker living in Los Angeles, and I'm the host of this podcast. I am enjoying, in air quotes, the summer so far. It's truly had many highs and lows. There is a WGA and SAG-AFTRA strike happening in the entertainment industry, so production is very much ground to a halt. So it's a very strange summer here, but my fiancé Zach and I have decided to foster to kittens who are calling Thelma and Louise, and we love them very much, and I think we are going to keep them. They have a very dangerous and potentially fatal kitten disease that we've been treating them with multiple ginormous shots a day, which has not been fun, but it's been really nice to just focus on feeding and loving and taking care of two little tiny things. So that feels like a good life mission these days. I am just trying to live day by day and find beauty and joy in all the moments I can because there is so much out of my hands and a lot of our hands these days. So just out here doing my best, you know. I am thrilled to have Kimri Lewis as our guest today. Kimri is an actor, director, and writer. As an actor, Kimri started as Micah on the NBC comedy Keenan and played Poppy on ABC's Single Parents. Kimri directed the award-winning dark comedy short film He Was Asking For It, which received an honorable mention at the Women's International Film Festival and was an official selection at the Cleveland Film Festival. Recently, Kimri wrote and directed the short film Fake It Till You Make It, which is an official selection of the 2023 LA Shorts International Festival. Kimri is a graduate of NYU's Tisch School of the Arts and a fellow of the Sundance Institute Writing Program. I loved my conversation with Kimri. It's so great to do these in person when I can. Kimri is a new mom to a 10-month-old daughter, and it really meant a lot to me that she was able to make the time for this conversation. We talked about everything from her experience with new motherhood and grief and thong shopping with our moms. We really covered the gamut, the highs and the lows. Kimri brought such vulnerability and a willingness to share some really painful feelings and thoughts, as well as a lot of laughs. Kimri is my type of gal. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, the best thing you can do to share and help me out is maybe just text it to a friend who may want to hear it. I appreciate you all so much. And with that, here we go. Welcome, Kimri Lewis, to Hello, My Mom is Dead. I'm sorry you're here, but I'm very glad you're at my house recording this. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Kimri and I had a lovely lunch prior to this. And let me tell you, Kimri and I could chat all day long. There were about three other podcasts that we could have (laughs) talked about. Yeah. Kimri is very generous with her time today. She has stepped away from... Uh, her 10-month daughter, to be here. And I am so grateful to have you. Kimri and I met in uh, Santa Clarita. Yes. On the set of Bless This Mess. Mm-hmm. Kimri and I worked together more significantly on Keenan, which yes. was uh, on NBC and is unfortunately no longer. Yes. But is a great comedy that I'm so fortunate to have worked on. You're most- one of our favorites. 
You're Yay. one of my favorite directors. I slipped her a hundred bucks before we pressed record. Thank you. It is in my pocket. <laughs> Kimri truly was a delight of my time on that show. Kimri is professional, hilarious, wildly talented, and kind. I also and slipped Molly a hundred bucks before we started <laughs> yeah, recording. We're just passing this this bill back and <laughs> forth. But Kimri's kindness is something that stands out so much to me and it's a rarity in this industry and immediately I felt drawn to you. Um, so the combo of being incredibly talented and kind is such a rarity and a gift. I could go on all day about how incredible I think Kimri nice is. You. Thank you, Molly. You're welcome. I can say the same thing about you on my podcast when I get one. Can't wait. I am here to talk about Kimri's mom, Carol, today. So as always, I start off with reading my guest mom's obituary. Uh, are you ready for that? I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be great. Too late. <laughs> okay, here we go. Carol Ann Morton was born in New Kensington, Pennsylvania, the oldest of three daughters of Mary and Melvin Morton. Her parents moved to New York when Carol was an infant, and she spent her elementary and high school years in the Bronx. She headed to the Midwest for college, graduated from Ohio State University with a BA in journalism, and then returned to New York to obtain her master's from the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. Carol's career began as a reporter for Tony Brown's Journal in New York. She joined the staff of WQED-TV in Pittsburgh, simultaneously holding the positions of producer, writer, and reporter. Carol later became associate editor of Ebony Magazine in Chicago, Illinois. While on assignment for Ebony in California, she decided to relocate to Los Angeles and became a producer slash reporter for KCET-TV. Her hard work earned her two Los Angeles Emmy Awards in 1979 and 1981. During this time, Carol married and later gave birth to William S. Lewis III and Kimry D. Lewis. Just as she did in her professional life, Carol dedicated herself to being the best mother she could, providing her children with excellent educations and an array of extracurricular activities in sports, community service, and church involvement. Carol's career continued to unfold working as a television coordinator for Hands Across America and producer for documentaries-slash-specials for KCET-TV. In 1990, Carol became a news writer for KMBC-TV morning news show Today in L.A. With hard work, she was promoted to a producer of the show and later executive producer. Her dedication paid off with a total of three Golden Mike Awards. Subsequently, Carol worked as show and post-production producer for Burnman & Burnman, which appeared on the Discovery Health Channel. When Carol passed, she was working at KABC-TV, where she produced their successful morning Eyewitness News program. A member of First AME Church, Carol was also a member of Women in Film, the Black Journalists Association of Southern California, and the NAACP. She was a graduate of the American Film Institute's Directing Workshop for Women in Television Writing Workshop and the William H. Cosby Writing Workshop. Carol was preceded in death by her father, Melvin Morton. She leaves to cherish her memory, her children, William S. Lewis III and Kimry Denise Lewis, her mother, Mary Morton, two sisters, Alice and Pamela, a brother-in-law, Isaac White, four nieces, Angela, Mary, Melanie, and Lorena, four nephews, Isaac Jr., Dominique, Melvin, and Michael, aunts, Flory Robertson, May Ruth Hudson, Lucille Harris, and Naomi Ricks uncles Alvin and Jesse Jr., and a host of cousins and friends. Carol's indomitable spirit, enthusiasm for life, and her hearty laughter will be with us forever. She indelibly touched all of our lives and hearts. Her selfless love and devotion to her family, children, and friends will always remain with us. Carol, our mother, sister, aunt, and friend, we were blessed to have you in our lives. Damn. What a woman. <laughs> yeah. That Cosby writing program didn't age well, though. <laughs> no. No, it did not. There's always something. <laughs> what was it like to have me read that? You know, I, I was reminded by of all the things that she did. She, she really did a lot. And... Obviously, I wasn't alive for most of that. Well, you know, a lot of that she did prior to me being born. But 
a lot of it she did do after as well. And so she was doing that while being a mom. Like you and I know, it's it's hard enough just doing this in this industry, just being ourselves. But um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, to to do it with the added level of you know having to take care of one, not one, but two kids at home, like it's pretty remarkable. You know, it's it's remarkable to have a resume like that. Yeah, without being a parent is remarkable, and it's it's just an, another level. So is your brother older or younger than you? Older. older brother? He's older than me by four years, yeah. And your mom passed in 2004, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she passed away from leukemia, CLL. And, you know, for the majority of her having the disease, because I, I can't remember when she got it. She had it for eight years. But for most of that, she didn't really have any symptoms, you know, it wasn't until that last year and a half where um, things got pretty bad. And I moved back from New York to, you know, be with her. I wound up being her caregiver, but I came back for my birthday to celebrate celebrate my birthday with her. And she was also starting chemo at the time. So I was like, oh, this will be cool. You know, celebrate my birthday. You'll do chemo. We'll go like <laughs> do our normal thing. We'll go to the movies. Yeah, and and we did that. And then the the last day of my two week trip, she um, I had to rush her to Cedars because she had a reaction to the chemo. And so, you know, we we're like that was weird. Let's just make sure you know I'll stay. I'll extend my trip just to make sure you're okay. So I did, and she was fine. But again, on the day I was supposed to leave, fly back to New York. We had to take her back and she was admitted for a little bit longer this time. And I was like, you know what? Let me just let me just postpone my trip back to New York until you get better. And then, you know, eight months later, she passed away. That's fast. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fast. What was her relationship with the prospect of dying as you saw it? You know, I don't think... My mom really liked talking about it with us or with her family. Yeah. You know, I remember when we first found out she had it, she, my mom was an avid reader and she was always reading books and uh, we had upstairs, downstairs, and she would always, you know, leave books that she was reading on the steps. And I remember one day running down and this one book had been sitting there for a while and I looked at the title and it was something like how to tell your kids you have cancer. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> and, you know, looking back, I think that was probably intentional. You know, that was probably Smart. her way of softly letting us know like, Hey, we're going to have to talk about something soon. It's cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, I don't think she ever really, until that, those last eight months, um, I don't think she ever really thought that she was going to die so soon. Right. Um, now, I know you say eight years living with leukemia, that seems like a long time. But if you're not having symptoms and you're still working, um, the overnight shift, as a matter of fact, you know, you're going into work, you're... At, at 11 p.m., you're coming home at 7 a.m. and still doing it all. You don't, I don't think you think, oh, like I might die soon. And so us having that conversation, I vaguely remember her talking to me and my brother about it. She was like, hey, you know, um, you know, that, that, uh, that disease that, her dad, my grandfather, um, grandfather had and died from. We were like, yeah. She was like, well, I have it too. I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, I, I, I think the way she kind of brought up the conversation to us, we weren't really thinking that she was going to die anytime soon either. Yeah. You know, um, we didn't do her, her uh, will until 12 days before she died. And did you sit with her and do that? Yeah, she was on her deathbed. <laughs> you know, she was at home and 
you know, she for months had been saying like, I'm going to redo the second level in the house. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a second level in the house. And she kept making all these plans. And meanwhile, I'm taking her to chemo, like, girl, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's just focus on this. And then finally, um, as it got closer and closer and it looked like she wasn't going to make it, she was like, hey, I think we should like do my will. And I was like, okay, like we could do it. We're not going to really need it anytime soon, but we did, you know, and I'm, I'm glad we did. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's actually a gift to do that together in some ways. You know, I've certainly heard stories of, you know, like the business of death mm. and the bureaucracy around it can be so messy. Very. That to know that was done ahead of time together is it, kind of a gift. It really was a gift because... You know, it's me, my brother, and her. And, you know, she's just very plainly telling us, like, hey, this is what I want. This is where I should go. This is what I want to happen. And so ultimately, when she did pass, it was like, okay, we have an order of instructions Mm -hmm. here on what to do, what to do with this stuff. Because, you know, as you know, the grief alone can just be so overwhelming. But to be able to, even within the grief know, oh, this is exactly what mom wanted us to do, was just, it was a relief. Well, she was a producer. Yeah. (laughs) She knew what she was doing. Yes, exactly. I just want to point out the coincidence, I would say, Kimri's character on Kenan is a producer of a morning news show. Yeah, yeah, that definitely, on the same network, you know, that my mom was an executive producer. She was, she produced for ABC and NBC. Um, Keenan was on NBC and that's where she first started producing Today in LA. So yeah, that definitely felt, it was, it was, it was eerie. It It, gives me goosebumps. Like I was playing my mom. I was playing a a character that was essentially my mom. Do you feel like in the process of playing that character and that role, you were able to understand a new aspect of your mom? Yeah, I I do. You know, I think a lot of people think that, oh, if you're behind the scenes as a producer, you know, you're not on camera, there's not much of a show that you have to kind of put on, but there is a show, <laughs> you know, there's pitching stories getting, you know, stories that you want, writing this, getting to write the stories that you want to write and assigning those stories to different writers, the characters behind the scenes, you know. The drama is always behind the scenes. It's so <laughs> there. It is there. Kimri and I spent like an hour before this just talking about behind the scenes yep. aspects of our experiences. And yep. The show is there. Oh, there's so much there. (laughs) That we will never tell you. No. I want to back it up to something you said earlier about Mm -hmm. your mom's schedule. You said she would work the night shift. Mm -hmm. How on earth did this woman (laughs) manage her life raising two children and working overnight shifts? That's a great question. I know... I I don't know, because I need my sleep. You know, my mom for years and years would, you know, wake up, shower at 11 o'clock, go into work, and then come home at eight o'clock in the morning, take a nap, and then get up to pick us up from school. So she had someone who would, we carpooled. So someone would take us to school in the mornings, and then she would pick us up from school at night. But no child care or like no. 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 There was no child care. It was it was us. <laughs> you know, at a certain point my mom would go to bed, you know, I think after she gave us she made dinner for us, she would go to bed around eight o'clock. That's like when I go to bed now and I'm a thirty seven <laughs> year old woman without children. Yeah. She would go to bed at eight and then, you know, my brother and I would do our homework. He would check my homework sometimes and then that would be it. We wouldn't see her, you know, when she left for for work at night, usually. Um, I do know, though, also, 
when I was out of school and there's nobody, you know, there's no school. So what are you going to do with a kid? There were often times when she would bring us to the newsroom. I would bring a sleeping bag and set it up on the anchor's couches, the news anchor's couches. And, uh, you know, I just remembered loving that so much because there were so many TVs in the newsroom and I got to watch all of them. And she got, she let me stay up late to watch, you know, TV. And I remember, you know, that was the first time I would, um, I was watching Jay Leno, Jay Leno, you know, NBC where um, she was working at the time. And I just remembered loving Jay Leno. He was so great. And then they started bringing on this guy after Jay Leno, who I did not like. And I did not think he was funny. I didn't get it. He he would bring his face close to the camera and do things just so differently than Jay. His name was Conan O'Brien. <laughs> um, I eventually grew to really appreciate Conan and his different type of humor. Yeah. Um, was it was so much different than Jay's, but I grew to really to really love it. But yeah, that was just one of my favorite things to do when she would take me take me to work with her. You must have like of kids in school. Your mom definitely maybe had the coolest job. She, yeah, it was up there. And then you know, every other year or so, she we would get to take a field trip to the newsroom, and that was fun, right? You know, your fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, you get to meet the news anchors and go behind the desk, and oh my god, they're wearing jeans back here. <laughs> they're not even wearing a full suit. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> the weatherman shook my hand. Ah, I'm never washing my hand again. <laughs> God, it's just so silly. Yeah, so that that aspect of it was really cool, and in, in uh, that I got to share that with my friends was was pretty pretty awesome. Where do you think your mom got this unbridled ambition? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because she was raised very traditionally, you know. Now that I'm a mom, I think there's just some some of that you're born with. It's in it's basically environment versus nature versus thank nature. Thank you. <laughs> I think there's a certain part of it that you're born with. And I I know that my mom just had it. She just she just had it. And then she gave it to both my brother and I as well. Yeah. And in in the same field for you. Yeah. What it, it what field is your brother in? My brother is in, he went into finance, you know, went to Wharton, well, went to Penn and then at Wharton after that. Dummy. Um, so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> and then, you know, I went to NYU for theater. It's an okay school. I've never heard of it. Theater. It's, what, it's, what it's, city is that in? It's a little town, New York City, NYC. Oh, yeah. Heard of it. You know. No big deal. No big deal. No, it, it was, I'm not sharing that to brag. I'm sharing that because we were two kids from South Central. Yeah. And people in our block didn't go to those schools, you know. So my mom and my dad, but primarily my mom really, really reinforced the whole education and going after our shit because, you know, the environment that we were in, it, it wasn't conducive for that. What did that look like on her end, fostering that in South Central? That looked like a lot of extracurricular activities <laughs> to keep us out of the streets and to keep us from hanging with the people who we weren't supposed to be hanging with in our block. So it looked like taking us to swimming lessons. It looked like taking us to football practice. And at football practice that my brother was playing, she made me be the water girl. So that meant that she could pick us both up, you know, at the same place. Yep. (laughs) I was the water girl. She's like, let me find a job for Kim Ray around this field. Yep. Yep. She, I was the water girl for both his football and basketball games. So my mom worked that out and, you know, she would prepare the Gatorade and, and stuff you name it, acting classes, dance classes, tennis, you know, we, we did it all. And a lot of it was, you know, not in the community that we grew up. So she had to take us there and get us home. And It's expensive, all those extracurriculars. Yeah. Yeah. I know for a long time, my mom worked two jobs to cover and make sure that we had, that we could still afford to do those things. You mentioned she was an avid reader as well. Mm-hmm. 
did she introduce a love of reading or literature or movies into your life? I wish I got the avid reader bug. I really do. But movies were our thing. And she she would take me to the kinds of movies that she wanted to see. And so <laughs> I have like, you know, this, this like random affinity for, you know, like women in their 40s. <laughs> <laughs> like and and aside from like waiting to exhale at the time, there weren't many like black women movies that you know that were popping off. So yeah, it was a lot of you know like let's go watch Beaches and you know like oh my god, <laughs> so emotional terrorism. Yeah, yeah, but but good movies, great movies. You know, good yeah. So that was our thing: going to the movies, getting pop. I, I think she mostly did it with just me. My brother was usually playing football. Or being smart. Being doing smart. nerdy stuff. <laughs> Preparing yeah. for Wharton. Ugh. Wharton College. Gross. Would you ever see signs of fatigue or like snappiness with your mom? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I told you we would carpool. And uh, I remember at lights, at red lights, she would just take a nap. <laughs> she you would know just you're tired when. <laughs> take a nap at the red light. And we would always be like, Mom green lights. <laughs> she would wake up and drive until it was red again. And she would just fall asleep for 15 seconds. So yeah, all the time. She was always, always tired. Did you see her prioritize herself ever? Oof, that's a great question. Over us? Never. Yeah, she always put us first. She always was, you know, if shopping needed to be done, you know, it was always getting our uniforms or getting our school supplies. She rarely bought new clothes for herself. She had like a handful, a staple of, you know, go-to outfits that she wore to pretty much everything. But yeah, she she really just did the whole put us first thing. Did you ever have a fight with your mom in a dressing room over jeans? Mm. Because I feel like this is a rite of passage (laughs) for teenage girls and their moms at some point. So I had a... She would take me to buy underwear every year, and we went to the fancy place, which was Victoria's Secret. Yeah, I was okay. going to say the annual that sale. <laughs> was it was like the, six for ten or something like they that. They had those those huge bins. bins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I was playing volleyball, and all the girls on my volleyball team, their moms, let them wear thongs, and so I was like, I'm gonna get me a thong today. I'm going to give me a thong. And I already knew. I'm going to get six for $20. <laughs> yeah. And just sneak them into the shopping cart as if she wouldn't notice. So my mom's paying for all this. And we're in line. And she's like counting how many how many pieces we have. And then she pulls out the one thong that I snuck in there. And she's like, she looks at me and she goes, I think you need to put that back. And I was like, but. Why, mom? I'm wearing biker shorts. Everybody's wearing this. She was like, Kimry, put it back. And man, I never got, she never bought me a thong. But this may be TMI, Molly, but that's all I buy now. No. I'm only buying thongs. I I agree. I um, had a similar reaction from my mom with thongs. I think I probably went to the Victoria's Secret sale on my own with babysitting money, but my mom would still often do the laundry. And she said, I folded your butt floss and put it on top of the laundry. (laughs) I mean, she's not wrong. It basically is butt floss. I don't think their generation really was worried about visible panty lines. No, no. That was the last of what they were thinking about. Also, I hate the word panties. Really? Yeah. Well, you say it with, you really hit that T. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pretty hard panties yeah but i guess less. it's a little it's less it's less offensive panties but panties is oof. yeah i can't hit that t as hard and then i can say the word oof take off my panties i, know. <laughs> I sullied my panties I, I have to buy new panties oh my god i, I giggle again this might be it's sort of adjacent to the panties slash panties combo <laughs> um did Sorry, you, I just want to point out, it wasn't even a G-string, Molly. It was just a regular thong. A utility thong. She wouldn't thong. let me buy a utility thong. 
Well, look at you now. Look at Thongs me now. only. Thongs, G-strings <laughs> only, baby. Team thong. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Did your relationship with your mom hit some friction points as you became a teenager? Certainly. Yeah. My mom remarried um, to this guy that I really didn't approve of. <laughs> I okay. did not approve of him for her. And I let her know every chance I could I could get. I did it. And at their wedding, which I really deeply regret, but at even at their wedding, in all their wedding photos, because the wedding was sprung on me, to be fair. We went to Palm Springs as a, on a family trip. And, you know, she came in, she told me like, hey, Rudy asked me to marry him. And I said, yes. And I was like, I just immediately started crying. And she was like, I think we're going to do it here. And I was just so mad. I didn't think he was good enough for my mom. And so um, in all the wedding photos, I'm just like, just mad and tears, <laughs> tears running down my face. How old were you? Ah, uh, I was, I was 14. And uh, yeah, on, uh, when my mom was really, really sick, I did apologize to her for that because it was a shitty thing to do. But also her and Rudy didn't last. So, ooh, I told you. <laughs> yes, so you were right. <laughs> I don't know your mom, but I sense that when you apologize, she was like, of course, no worries. Yeah, she understood. Do you think your mom had a healthy self-esteem? You know, I think it was as healthy as it could be for a divorced single mom, you know, raising two kids in South Central. She probably wasn't as um, as driven as she would have liked to have been in um, with work. I think I think ultimately she wanted to be to be doing what you're doing. You know, I think she ultimately she Having wanted a to podcast in her kitchen. That's it. While a Yorkie <laughs> glares at her. That's exactly what she was <laughs> drinking a Waterloo. Um, that was her goals. You know, we all have them. I think she wanted to direct film and television. She didn't um, speak up as much as she probably would have liked to. She had to, we were talking about this, like be direct and tell people what it is that she wanted. So, and, and I don't know if she, uh, if she had the confidence to, to do that. Do you know if she ever saw work of black female filmmakers when you watch movies? Yeah. I mean, if there was anything that a black female filmmaker did... <laughs> She was very um, on top of that stuff and making sure that both me and my brother got exposed to it. But at that time, you would certainly need to seek it out. For sure. And it was a rarity, even more than it is now. Mm -hmm. And it's still a rarity. Mm -hmm. Yep, very much so. And because it was a rarity, she made sure to make a big deal out of it when, whenever it did happen. So, and certainly with black male filmmakers, she still did the same mm -hmm. because even that was a rarity mm -hmm. um, and still is, you know, to a certain degree. On top of acting, you directed a short, two shorts you've directed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't doubt that you're going to go on to many more things. Man, this $100 is going a long way. Thank you, Molly. <laughs> Thank you for just bringing that up just now. Appreciate that. I do believe that we have the opportunity to seek out or explore things our mothers weren't able to. Mm. For me, my career as a writer and director is something that truly would be beyond my mom's wildest dreams, mm. did not have the luxury or privilege to do so. And I often remind myself of that, you know, and we can complain or I can complain about it. And it's like how lucky I am mm -hmm. to have this as my life. Mm -hmm. And maybe in some ways, your journey on directing is giving a retroactive gift to your mom. Certainly. It certainly feels that way. I was looking at one uh, when you asked me for the obituary. I had to dig it up last night. And I found this card that she gave me. Uh, I guess it was a year before she died. And... You know, the card said something like, Kimri, well, she wrote in the card, you know, Kimri, you are my prize. You're my jewel. You're going to go on to do many, many great things. And so although she didn't talk about not being here 
And she said, you know, she closed by saying, like, take my love and, and peace with you. Although she didn't talk about dying and not being here, I do think that she she probably knew before I did just, you know, what I might be might go on to accomplish. So in a way, yes, taking this directing journey certainly makes me feel closer to her. I similarly have a letter framed in my office from my mom dated June 1st, 2007 Mm. from a holiday inn in a small Canadian town where Mm. I graduated from university in January of that year. The doctor said she had like, I don't know, six weeks to live or something. And she said, that can't be right because I have to be at Molly's graduation in six months. And he told her that she should prepare to not be. Mm. And she just said, fuck that. Fuck Mm -hmm. this guy Mm -hmm. showed up at the graduation. I shared a bed with her in a holiday in that night. Mm. And I woke up the next morning and she had collapsed on the ground with a coffee pot. Mm. And she did not want me to tell my sisters, my (laughs) older sisters. And I wanted to tell them because that was sort of the beginning of the end. But she was dead three weeks later, but she had written a letter that weekend on the holiday and letterhead where similar to the tone in which your mom was writing, there was something that indicated she knew. Yeah. And the last line is, I'll be watching over you forever. Mm. And yeah, it's one of my favorite possessions. I love that it's on holiday and letterhead. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's that, that's truly a gift. How special. And, and they knew whether they were willing to share it with us. I think they knew. It perhaps too painful to say it explicitly. Absolutely. And you, now that I'm a mom, like I, I get it. The idea of my daughter not having me is, it's just unfathomable. Yes, she has her dad and he's wonderful. But, you know, there's nothing like a mother-daughter connection and bond that that is, um, it's irreplaceable. So I never want her to have to experience losing me. Obviously, I never want to experience losing her. But yeah, I think I would like to think that if I was made aware that I would sit, that I was sick, um, I would like to think that I would be able to share it with her in a way that was healthy and that could help prepare her, but easier said than done. I was just going to bring that up. And you, of course, are a new mom. Mm-hmm. You have a 10-month-old daughter. Yeah, I do. And... I'm wondering if the process of being pregnant and becoming a mom reactivated some grief or a relationship with your mom. 100%. It's a whole nother layer that I'm able to understand her. Me joining, you know, the motherhood club has brought me closer to her. Because this shit is hard. (laughs) I've heard. This shit is hard. Harder than you even intellectually thought. 100%. Wow. Harder, much harder. And I knew going in, this is going to be hard and I'm choosing to sign up for this. And, you know, the, the person who would ideally usher me into motherhood, help prepare me for it, the ideal person to do that just isn't physically here. Mm -hmm. You know, that part has been hard in like the happiest moments, right? So it's like when, you know, my my daughter started rolling over or when I first brought her home, it's like, obviously, the person I'm going to be sharing this stuff with is my mom. So yeah, and, and I, I feel closer to her and it's been, I don't know, 15, 8, 17, 18 years. And that does feel good because I like the idea of feeling closer to her through motherhood. And I I don't think I ever would have thought that, hey, is, you know, 18 years from when my mom dies, I'll I'll feel even closer to her. Mm -hmm. You know, you think just time with separation just, you know, make you feel further away. But this has certainly brought me even closer to her because I, I look and look back and see what she had to do, you know, with not just me, but with my brother as well. And while working, you know, sometimes multiple jobs at a time, it's it's not for uh, a, 
It's not for anybody weak. Do you think your mom gave you everything you needed to know about being a mom? You know, I feel that, yes, she was such a great template for me. So all I have to do is look back, you know, whenever I'm second guessing myself or just wondering, like, how would I do this? All I have to do is look back and see, like, okay, what did she do here? How did she do this? And the answers are usually there. But (sighs) that being said, I still, I need her. Mm -hmm. I crave her being here, you know. She would love her granddaughter. She's such a firecracker, you know. Um, and you know the the part for me that's hardest is that Karis won't really know her aside from what I'm sharing. Yeah, you know. So that's my goal is to just make sure that she knows her grandmother um, as much as she can through stories and videos that I have of her. You know, the friends that she has left, you know, I try to incorporate them into her life. And through the way you love yours. Mm. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly. I cannot imagine the difficulty of being a new mom at the best of times, let alone with this whole. And there is nothing to be said about it. Mm -mm. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's like it it ripped off a new wound (laughs) or like Mm -hmm. another layer of that grief scab. Yep. You know, it's like, man, I didn't know that it could hurt in this way. You know, I knew it could hurt in these ways. You know, when I'm booking shows, you know, I wish my mom was here or getting married. Sure. But, you know... Having her as to be a grandmother, to like to, to be Karis's grandma, that's it's such a void that um, really I really wish uh, really wish she could be here for. I'm just sitting here with you in this. Um, And I see your resilience and I see the pain and those things often are related. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where is your mom buried? I have my mom's ashes um, in an urn. My mom was cremated. So she's in our living room and it just worked out that this corner of the living room where I have her urn and a lot of photos of her it worked out that that's where um, it's most convenient for us to have a jumper for Karis. And so she just jumps. <laughs> She's jumping over that urn. Oh. <laughs> She's jumping over your mom all day, every day. <laughs> and jump and jump and jump and jump. Yeah, so the, the photos she gets to look at. The, but the beauty of that proximity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I love it. She looks up. You know, we say, where's grandma? Where's grandma Carol? And she looks right up at this photo um, that we have of her. And I just, I love that. Do you believe in um, reincarnation in any degree? I do. You know, I see, I feel my mom's uh, spirit. And um, I do see elements of her in, in Karis. I think I believe in it to some degree too, you know. Mm-hmm. Or even just scientific facts that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. Right, 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 yeah. You're married. I am. Congratulations. Thank you. New Thank mom, you. newlywed. Yeah, yeah. How 
does your husband um, support you with the mom loss? Because sometimes, or at least I have, like, I just had my first mom anniversary mm-hmm. with sex. So sort of navigating how that goes. Yeah. What's your partner like? Wonderful. He's so wonderful with it all. And, uh, you know, when we, when we first brought Karis home from the hospital, I remember, you know, his parents came over and, uh, you know, they were holding her and, I mean, with the hormones and just the weight of it all, I was just a mess, you know, because it does pass your mind, like, cross your mind. His mom gets to hold her. Your mom doesn't. And so the next... Um, I'm sure his mom is great, but it makes me mad. She's wonderful. She's probably the best. She's really great. She's really wonderful. Um, she's so great with with Karis too. But yeah, like I want my mom to have that too. And so he he had this painting made of my mom and Karis together. That is so beautiful. And it is up in our living room. It's near the jumper. And so that's what she looks at, looks at when, you know, we say, where's Grandma Carol? And she looks at this huge painting of the two of them together. So that's one of the ways, you that's know. That's a beautiful gift. It's really a, a treasured gift and, and so so thoughtful. And I it was just an ugly cry when I opened it. Um, that was he, right when you came home? Shortly after. Yeah. And, you know, he said, I... I remember feeling so excited that, you know, my dad and mom got to hold Karis and, you know, be with her. And so I wanted, you know, some version of that for you. But yeah, he gets my mom flowers on Mother's Day from Karis. <laughs> from Karis. Oh and um, so it's it's nice. I, I I don't know about you, but for me, not talking about my mom is it doesn't do me any justice. Like I want to talk about her. I want to remember her. You yeah. know, I want her to feel, um, to be a part of the conversation, especially with Karis. And so he, he does that in such a lovely way. And I'm so appreciative for it. That all sounds so beautiful because it's not necessarily instinctual for people to know how to support yeah. someone through a major loss, especially at these milestones, such right. as the birth of your first child. Yeah. So any partners or spouses listening, mm-hmm. take a little tip uh, from Kimri's husband. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, I really do treasure that part of our relationship. What kind of sense of humor did Carol have? Um, that's a great question. She laughed a lot at my brother and I. <laughs> Um, we would do these commercials for her when we were younger and, uh, you know, commercial for soap or, and we just would grab whatever toys we had that always involved this trumpet that only played three notes. And so we would come in and do commercials for her. She really got a kick out of that. She really liked self-deprecating humor a lot. Yeah. So she. (laughs) Like most ambitious, smart women often do. (laughs) You just got to laugh at it. Like, oh, was I? I fell asleep at the light. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey. <laughs> I'm tired. That's that's how it happens. Yeah. You know. Your mom was never a cell phone user, I presume. Or in 2004, would it be like a Nokia brick? <laughs> Close. Yeah. She had um, a, a smaller brick. But she had a phone and she also got me a phone in high school, which was like a big yeah. thing. Um, it was a flip phone. And, uh, yeah, she got it for me for emergencies and for her. So she, like, she was the only one who was able to call me, allowed to call me. Did you do T9 texting with each other? Oh, T9 texting. What's that? Like, if you're saying hi, you have to press, like, oh, three number times. five, three times, and then. You know, um, no. She, she, wasn't, she wasn't savvy with that when it came to technology. But she did also get me a beeper. And I a pager, I should say. Um, that was the cool way to say it, Molly, a pager. <laughs> and so I had a pager and I had a phone. And uh, she would, I think maybe the most that she would do would be like, 
text me 411 or something like that. Yeah. Which was like, you want me to call 411? You have yeah. info for me? <laughs> what is this? Like, decide What is yeah. this? In ninth grade, the one thing I wanted for my birthday was a pager. Mm. And my mom was like, we live in the suburbs. Why? Like, there's a landline. But I, I wanted it. I needed it. Yeah. And she begrudgingly got me a black matte pager Ooh. with a gold chain. Oh, with the chain, girl. With Come the chain. On, bling, bling. You know, she was, she rolled her eyes, but she delivered. I also, one of the moments I deeply regret, we were sort of around the same age. Remember the Tamagotchi craze? Mm-hmm. Of course. Those little digital keychains that was a very rudimentary animation of some sort of digital chicken yeah. You yeah. had to keep alive. Yep. I wanted a Tamagotchi like nobody's business. Oof. And she obviously slept on it because they were sold out. So I got Ooh. a nano pet. What? Which is. You got a nano pet? Which is an off-brand Tamagotchi, which I was not pleased about and frankly a huge bitch. Oh, which, see, I. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> but I remember going to school that day and leaving my nano pet with my mom to take care of i.e. feed when it beeped and <laughs> obviously she had other shit to do and my digital chicken was dead at the oh, end of the no. day no. and she was like molly i am sorry like i have too much <laughs> on the go to be feeding the digital chicken not only did you get me a nano pet, yeah <laughs> killed it you killed it oh man that's great <laughs> but like these little things that you or at least I deeply regret, you know, wanting seven jeans that were like $200 and her not being able to afford those mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. a single parent. And those arguments that I just deeply regret. I, I remember winning cross colors. And I don't know if you remember cross colors. No, what's but, that? Oh, yeah, girl. Cross colors was all the rage. It was, it was a brand of clothing. I want to say it was started by some black people, but... Like hip hop artists were all wearing it. And so I remember I wanted cross colors and my mom wouldn't get it for me. And finally, after I begged her, she took me to the Slauson swap meet and got me like the knockoff cross colors. And I still thought I was doing something. I was yeah. like, I got the real cross colors on. <laughs> and man, they roasted me so hard at school. They did. For having they knew? the fake cross colors. Yeah. They How did knew. they know? I think like one of the C's was supposed to be, I, I don't really remember, but I think it was supposed to not be facing the correct way. Okay. Cross color, but it was. Yeah, it, it was, it was, that was rough. I didn't wear that again. Oh, God. What a shame. Yeah. I'm now going to look up cross colors. I oh, wonder yeah. if it's like having a resurgence. Like all this Y2K stuff is coming back. I bet it I bet it will be if it hasn't already. Maybe cross you colors. can gift yourself an authentic oh. cross, colors cross colors item. <laughs> Your oh push present. The colors, <laughs> the colors were so bold. It was it was like all the primary colors. Yeah, bright red and yellow and oh my god, green. They were so bright, but yeah, I deserve it. You do yeah, I deserve it. There's a writer, Cheryl Strayed, whose work I really love. She wrote that book, Wilds, that became a Reese Witherspoon movie. Yep. I loved the book. Got a tattoo of the last line on my back. Then it became a movie, and I was like, oh no, I'm the girl with the Reese Witherspoon movie tattoo on my back now. Uh, please be a good movie. Um, the late French Canadian director Jean-Marc Vallée directed it. It's a beautiful film, so the tattoo still stands up. But um, there's a line in uh, one of her pieces of writing, and she says, "One winter, your mom will save up money to buy you a jacket you don't like. Take the jacket and say thank you. One day you won't be able to tell her." Mm. I'm butchering those lines. Um, but the sentiment of it, like, just touched me in my bones. Um, and just looking back on these moments where you get the counterfeit <laughs> item from the swap meet or the nano pet and not the Tamagotchi and how you wish you could just be gracious and say thank you, knowing how much they sacrificed for us. So much. But also knowing implicitly, again, I don't know your mom, but I have a sense that if they were here right now and 
you said, or we said like, sorry for being an ungrateful mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. bee about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they would roll their eyes and laugh. That's how teenagers are. Yeah. It's part of it. Yeah, for sure. As I sit in this cardigan. Kimry's wearing um, in, like an Irish era knit sweater a la Chris Pine and Knives Out. Yes, that's exactly um, what it is. But before you let me borrow it, you, you look told like a me. cute Irish fisherwoman. <laughs> I'll have to take a, a picture of this. But yeah, before before I put it on, you said that these are the kinds of sweaters that your mom would have and you would give her shit for having. Yeah. But now, you know, look who's wearing them. Yeah. Who doesn't love a thick, uh, chunky knit You're around great. the house? You're great. It's a house sweater. Yes. Two things I want to ask you as we wrap up. Mm-hmm. If your mom were to text you right now on this specific day, what would it say? Oh, that's a great question. What would my mom say? She would probably say, um, well, I mean, I love you, you know, and go for it. And you are. (laughs) Thank you. Second question. What would Carol like Karis to know? You don't have to be perfect to go after your goals. You're enough. You know, don't let anyone get in your way or stop you. If you have a goal and you want to go for it, just do it. You don't have to wait for the perfect time or the perfect situation. Just do it. Which I guess essentially is... (laughs) What I think she would be texting me. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's essentially the same thing. But it's a clear message that you feel from her mm-hmm. towards both of you. And, you know, I think that one day Karis will bring a sleeping bag when you're doing a night shoot. Oh, I love that. On a TV episode or a movie you're directing. I love that. What a beautiful image that is. I can't wait for it to come true. Yeah. Hold that image in your mind on days when you're doubting yourself because just I was blown away by Carol's resume, but at the same time, totally unsurprised by it. Mm. Just what I know of you and um, the line about her laugh. I immediately heard your laugh (laughs) and... I just uh, think, as you said, some people are born like this. They're go-getters. They just burn it down to the ground and start again. And she's provided a beautiful life for you and in turn your daughter. Yes. And to echo Carol, go for it. Oh, wow. How beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. This was great. Is there anywhere where listeners can find your work or if they'd like to find out more about Kimry, where do they go? Yes, you can stalk me on Instagram and uh, I am at I am Kimry. I have a short film that is making its debut at the LA Film Festival on July 25th at LA Live Regal Cinemas. So folks can look up LA Shorts Fest for that. And uh, that's that's it. Otherwise, you can find me walking my daughter out in these strike streets. <laughs> <laughs> out in these tumbleweed streets. That's right. <laughs> um, also, you can uh, see some of Kimry's work on Single Parents. Oh, yeah. Sure. Kenan. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Forgot about that. Uh, yes. Single Parents. Keenan. You can look all of that up on, I think they're both on Hulu. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and a couple of episodes that Molly directed, so... Look for those. One of them is my favorite. There's this badass shot of uh, of me walking through this this corridor, and Molly promised me that I was going to look badass, and I've never looked more badass. So thank the director's you for that. cut was longer. Just saying. <laughs> oh, now I have to see that. <laughs> um, thanks, Kimry. I think your vulnerability and honesty really um, is going to touch people, especially new moms. This is not something I've experienced, so I'm really happy. You're the first new mom that I've spoken to, and I think it's going to be so valuable. Well, thank you. It's it's a um, 
a job that is extremely hard. And, you know, if you, if you've had great examples like we've had, it, it makes it a little easier. Um, just kind of knowing what, you know, or thinking about what they would do if they were here. What would Carol do? She would say, go for it go for and it. take a nap at the light. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what she would do. <laughs> Drive safely, everybody. Don't listen Please. to me or uh, Carol. Please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's dangerous. It's actually it's dangerous. quite dangerous. Don't come for me, LAPD. Yeah. Um, okay, over and out. Bye. Bye. Just a reminder that if you like the podcast or frankly, even if you hate it, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This helps boost ratings and make sure that people can come across the podcast who may need it. As always, I really appreciate all of your support and would love to hear from you and what you think. And I'm sorry you're here, but glad that you are. Thanks, friends. Love you.